little nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. Never apologize for being nerdy. All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hello, Junior Ambassadors, nerds, and nerdettes of all ages, and welcome back to another episode of the Nerd United Nations podcast. I am your host in the Midwest United States, Jared Boots, and with me, as always, is my co-host of the Great White North of Canada, with her fresh new haircut, Miss Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I I can't complain at the moment, and I'm loving my new haircut. <laughs> About time, you damn hippie. <laughs> I know, I know. 17 months too long, I know. <laughs> so well, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm ready to... Oh, I'm never really eager to piss people off, but... Um, tonight, uh... Tonight... Might be the most eager in my life. I've been eager to piss someone off. <laughs> but uh, if you remember last time, we talked about some of the things we are passionate about in our nerdum, And we promised you that this episode, we're going to try to piss you off. And tonight, we are going to be taking some hot takes. And we're kind of uh, formed this kind of like a speech class or writing class in high school or as Melissa would call it, grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, um, we're each going to take a hot take, and then we have to defend it. And so we didn't sound like we were talking out of our ass. We had to have at least a little research put behind our hot take. So you, uh, what did I say, Melissa? We had to have at least three... Uh, what was the word I used? Three different types. Uh, it have three lines of defense. How about that? Yeah, three three lines of defense. Um, defending our our opinion on our topics for for the episode. So, because we we really wanted to, you know, if we're gonna argue something, we gotta you gotta be prepared to to argue it and have solid points. So, yeah, we each have um three points, and then also it's just gonna be um kind of further conversation too about it so and i'm sure some kind of questions will come up too from either side so. yeah so melissa you are the you're the resident pipe bomber of this show why don't you kick us off with your hot take <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at it, and I'm also pretty good at it on uh, on on Twitch as well. When I am commenting in the Twitch comments, I'm always dropping bombs and making oh. people. But is that ever, any surprise? I don't think so. <laughs> well, ever since episode six, when you dropped that David Harbour is a better Hellboy than Ron Perlman. Because he is. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> I thought that would be the one you would pick, because I'd love to hear your defense, other than the fact that he has a U in his name and Ron Perlman doesn't. <laughs> All right. So, very recently, there's been some, um, I've heard from from others that they haven't really been very kind to the movie that I've picked for, to defend, and why it's a good movie, um, because there's, I mean, there's been always kind of back and forth about it, and mostly because... The biggest issue being that it's it, it oh it, it doesn't follow the book or they do something different from the book and it's just this sort of back and forth thing and that seems to be the main focus. Um, and yeah, very recently I've been I've been hearing a lot of a lot of comments about it and things and I thought you know what I need to come out and and kind of express my 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 views and thoughts on why The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, is a good movie. Now, I know a lot of you are probably just facepalming and thinking, really? That movie? (sighs) Don't get me started. I know you're thinking it. I I know it. (laughs) But I'm going to start with You know, I really am picky when it comes to movies being based from books or being inspired from books. You know, you want to know that they're going to do a good job with the content that they have, with the source material that that they have and how they're going to work with it. And, you know, I've read The Hobbit, uh, I don't know, many times, and... I love the story. I think it's a really fun adventure. Um, you really get sucked into the world of, of Bilbo Baggins and his adventure with, with everybody. And, you know, you, you really connect with him. And you also connect with the with the other characters as well. And you, you really find yourself engaged with the world when you read the book. And along with the movie, I, I feel that same way. I feel that they did a really good job of telling the story. Now, I know it's not, you know, there, there's a lot of it that isn't completely connected to the to the book, but I don't think it is out of place. I think it fits very well with the world and, you know, how, how they tell the story. Um, I, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like oh, we're just going to throw this character in there, or we're going to just do this, or it's it flows really well. It works within that world. Because, I mean, you can really do anything with it. It's such a big world, and especially when it's connected to, you know, the whole Lord of the Rings stuff as well. So it's a 
you know, it's a pretty big world. And even, like, the book itself isn't very big. Like, it's not like, you know, Stephen King's Christine or something. Like, it's not, it's, it's not a big book. But there's a lot of stuff in it. So, they, you know, there's a reason why they, they split it up into three films. Because I think, <laughs> you know, if you put it into... That's simple. One, money. Exactly. I mean, it comes down to money. But if you put it all into one film, it would be like a four-hour, five-hour long film. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happens in it. And I really stress the point of, you know, this is only part of the story. This, The first film is part of the story, and then it continues on in the second one. So... You know, I feel that there's a little bit more of the book in the second film, but there's still that in the first film as well. And, you know, I feel that they told the story well, they created that world well, and it's what I imagined when reading the book. Like, there's just this, you know, especially at the start where you, you know, you're introduced to, to Bilbo or to, yeah, to Bilbo, and he's telling the story, kind of getting you introduced to it. And, you know, it's this, you know, he's describing, he's kind of telling the bit of the backstory of everything. And then you see, you know, where he lives. And it's exactly what I pictured in my mind, like this really cozy place, this beautiful place where he lives. And, you know, like that, that's what I, I you know, pictured in my mind. And, I, you know, they, they really did a great imagining. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of films that didn't, you know, that sometimes don't capture that very well. Like, you you imagine something and in your mind as you're reading the book, and then they you see it on screen, and it doesn't translate. Like, it's, oh, like, they, they don't get, they, they, they have a very different image. And with this, I feel that they they really brought that to life. They you know, brought what I imagined that I'm sure many others might have imagined too in their mind when reading the book on screen. And, you know, the the cast of character the casting I think was really great. I don't think you could have anybody better. Um and yeah, I think um you know, I, I don't think it was a flop. I don't think it was something that they they failed on in any way. Um I, I can I can love the book and the movie very equally. And that's saying a lot when I'm somebody who you you better get it right if you're gonna adapt, you know, something from a book onto a screen. So, you know, I can I can you know, see elements of the book, definitely, but it's not all of it, which is fine with me. I'm I'm okay with it because they they tell it so beautifully. I really feel that they do, and especially, you know, you've got the casting that's really spot on, and then you also got the soundtrack and, the, like, the music. It just sets that tone of, you know, you've got your really lighthearted moments, and then you've got your more intense moments, and it fits the mood of the characters very well. Like, you know, this is what they're, you can see what they're feeling, but then you can also really, from that music, you can really get a sense of what they're they're feeling in that moment. And it's just, it's a fun adventure. And I think a lot of people get stuck on that a lot, where it's just, 
you know, oh, it has to be part of the book. It has to be page by page by page. Pump the brakes a minute here. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. You can have, like I've said before, elements of the story, which they have. And they tell the story in a, in a very good way. And it's just, you kind of almost, you know, disconnect yourself from knowing what you know from the book and just watch the movie for what it is. Enjoy the adventure. Get that joy that Bilbo feels when he, he, he signs the, the, the form after he reads it, the long-winded uh, contract. And then he decides, you know, he's running out of it, out of the hobbit hole, and he's, you know, he gets asked by another hobbit that, are, you know, where are you going? And I'm going on an adventure. Like, get that joy that he feels. Like he's just, you know, he's got joy. He's excited. He's, you know, looking forward to to doing something because he, you know, he kind of had that bit of a. a he was kind of stagnant for a while, where doilies were the only thing that, that was important to him, and dishes were important to him, and, like, just how you see at the beginning of the film, like, he's all focused on, on the dishes and the doilies and whatever, and don't break these things, and he's just completely freaking out because it's out of his comfort zone. But then he Check realizes... The glasses, crack the plates, that's what Bilbo's Baggins hates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates so carefully, carefully with the plates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you you know, he's, you, he's freaking out. Like, he's just, you know, they've really pushed him out of that comfort zone. And I think, you know, when they left that next morning and he's sort of like hmm like he just sort of seemed like wandering around and at first he's like yes they're gone but then it's sort of like it's sort of like an emptiness like oh like it's sort of like they're gone well I still have the you know it's sort of like you have the contract still you can sign it okay and he's off like I think you know that's what you need to grab take that and run with it when you're watching the film. And, you know, I I do, and it's just, it makes it a lot of fun. And it's almost, it's it, to me, it's a cozy story. Like, it's just like, it's almost like a really awesome sort of bedtime story. Like, it's just, it's got your good moments, your intense moments. It's just, it's really cool. And it's also really cool to see this character who is so... Uh, in his shell to just completely bust out of it and, you know, go on an adventure and have fun. And, you know, I know it gets a lot of heat that, you know, it's not, you're kind of sitting there wondering, well, that wasn't in the book. Well, that, you know, don't even think about that. Just enjoy the film for what it is. I mean, to bring the Harry Potter fandom in here, you know, there's a lot of changes and a lot of differences from the Harry Potter book to the films. But as Harry Potter fans, we still love them. We still really, really love the films and we love the books. So I think with The Hobbit and, you know, The Hobbit, the book, and the movie, well, all three films, 
you just kind of need to just immerse yourself into the world and just enjoy it for what it is. Go on that adventure with Bilbo and enjoy it. And, you know, pretend you're, you're there with him adventuring and take that joy. And don't be such a stick in the mud over it not being a thousand percent loyal to a buck. No film is ever going to be really loyal to a buck unless they're that much of a stickler for that, which I can, uh, I can absolutely respect, but I can also respect creativity and imagination and everybody has a different interpretation of things. So I would say respect that. And then also take the joy of Bilbo going, starting out on his adventure and enjoy the film. The biggest drawback for me was making The Hobbit in the three films. That was the biggest one for me. Mm. That's why I chimed in and said that's, it was all about money. That's why it was just a huge money grab. Because I grew up with uh, <clears throat> Rankin and Bass's rendition of The Hobbit, which is like an hour and a half long cartoon. Have you ever seen that one, Melissa? I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I grew up with that one, and um, uh, I always told people, well, if the same studio that made Frost's Snowman could tell the same story in an hour and a half cartoon, then why does Warner Brothers need to make three movies out of the same book? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I would agree. I think... I I really believe they could have done it in two in at least two films um but i like i, I can understand your your it, yes it comes down to money ultimately but i think like i i understand you're introducing the characters you're introducing the world you're getting started on the adventure and then okay you continue on in the next film like i, I sort of i get that but I think the third film could have been a part of the second one. Because I, I, I enjoy all three. I enjoy the third one. But I kind of found that one a little bit weak in spots. Like it was sort of... Like they, they did so much in the second one, I found, that to continue that story, that it sort of fell a little bit flat in the third one. Still good. Still a fun watch, but I sort of felt like it fell flat, and I think that could have been in the second one. But what do I know? I'm not the one making those decisions. <laughs> you could easily have the first film being the adventure up to them, but reaching Smog in the yeah. mountain. So have the encounter with the trolls, the stone giants, the wood elves, the spiders, and then the people in Lake Town. And then have the second film kick off with uh, Bill entering the... So here's what you do. You end the first film with uh, the reveal of Smog and you cut the credits. Mm. And you start the second film with Bilbo entering the to talk to Smog. And then him attacking Lake Town, his eventual defeat, and then the battle between um, between the humans, the, the dwarves, the elves, and the uh, eagles and the goblins. Mm-hmm. Easily could have made that into two films, but you know, studios like to make money, so what can you do? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. They could have, yeah, gone all the way up to to Smog and, used, okay, you end it with him, and then, yeah, continue on. I think that would have made a little bit more sense, but, oh, well. I mean, they're, they're you know, I, I really love the first film, and I love the second one, and, and the third is just as good, too. So, yeah, it falls a little flat in the third one, but, meh, it's okay. I mean, it's... All the films are just a lot of fun. And I'm definitely more of a fan of The Hobbit than I am of Lord of the Rings. I've tried Lord of the Rings, and it just, to me, it doesn't really do much for me. Like, I can't really, I don't find myself connecting to the characters or connecting to the world as much as I do with The Hobbit. Like, I feel like I'm much more into, like, The Hobbit and that story than I am with with Lord of the Rings like I've watched the first one and eh, I mean it was was, I don't really have anything bad to say about it but it really wasn't my thing at the end of the day like it was it it, it is what it is and you know I'm definitely more of the Hobbit fan for sure right on I haven't seen Lord of the Rings since almost 20 years since I've seen Lord of the Rings it's makes me feel old that the fact that Return of the King is almost 20 years old now oh really 2003 2004 ow ow because I believe Tim said that uh, Fellowship is 20 years old this year so I don't did they do one film a year I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, so they did one film a year, then yeah, Return of the King will be 20 years old in about a year and a half, two years. I remember I came, I, I was home for winter break from college when we went and saw it. Wow, that's crazy. Or if it was 2003, no 2003, uh, if it was 2003, winter 2003, then yeah, I was home from college <laughs> on winter break <laughs> i know it was in december but uh, yeah 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 something it sounds about right oh good lord but i uh, but admission time comes right now is that a i never finished reading the hobbit when i was a kid and two i haven't seen the third film <laughs> but I, I did i did recently watch part of desolation of smog i believe it was on fourth of july I was able to identify which one it was just by the fact that they had smog in there. But I do remember uh, the first time I tried to watch Desolation of Smog when it first came out. I think I was getting ready to watch it before the Battle of the Five Armies. And I passed out randomly while watching it. I woke up and saw smog. And um, I sent a text to my friend Jasmine like, smog is so visibly visually beautiful to look at <laughs> <laughs> so i did like how i had that going for it mm-hmm. yeah i yeah um he's it's it's amazing how they how they did that like just and and um uh benedict cumberbatch doing that character is he amazing but then he's amazing in everything. So, but then I'm biased because I love him. So, 
<laughs> but, need to yeah. apologize for that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, um, talking about smog, the first roar that we hear, and this is from IMDb, so take it with a grain of salt as you like, but the first roar that we hear from Smog in the attack on Erebor in the first scene, sort of that backstory, it was apparently a soundbite of the the special effects director's seven-year-old daughter roaring. And so then they, they took that and they manipulated it and corrected it to sound like a dragon. And then it was put into the movie. So I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Your little your roar, whatever you did, gets to sound like a dragon. It's like that's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool if that's a thing. I'm sure it is. You hear about stuff like that all the time. We'll go back at Revenge of the Nerds. What was the sound of a uh, booger's belch? It was the sound of a camel orgasming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you hear a drastic park uh, it was velociraptors uh, it was like dolphin calls and something else with like the velociraptors and a bunch yeah. of animals mixed together for the t-rex so yeah and i mean you know you think of um oh what is it uh raiders of the lost ark and how the ark it was a um uh toilet lid Toilet tank lid opening. Nice. <laughs> it's just yeah, that was that was kind of cool. For I just looked up some some interesting sort of facts, and um, it was also the movie was released the same year as the novel's seventy fifth anniversary. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. When did the when did the first film come out? It was. 2012? 2012 it came out? So that's going to be 10 years old next year already? Holy cow. Oh. Uh, uh, Oh, Lord. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't feel like it. It really doesn't feel that that long, but I guess it happens. And to, um, to Whovians or fans of Doctor Who... They probably know this already, but um, Radagast, who was played by Sylvester McCoy, uh, Whovians would know as the seventh Doctor in Doctor Who. Those are my little my little fun facts that I thought I would throw out there. <laughs> nice. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm sitting here thinking about it. I was re-watching The Desolation of Smog the other day with my buddy Rich at his house, and it made me laugh. Like, look at this big, dark, brutal movie and like how they make the dwarves look all badass in this version. Mm-hmm. And the day, their names rhyme. Dory, yeah. Nori, Ori, Keely, Feely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, Dory, Nori, and Ori. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently... Uh, 
Oh my goodness, I can't remember the. I, um, not not Keely, but or was it Keely? Can't remember. Oh my goodness, I can't remember. But one of them, um, had it was this really random fact that I found. It was that one of them had. They they like the actor they they use their their natural beards, the beard that they had, while the others all had like really over the top fake beards. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> really random fact to throw out there. <laughs> if I was two feet shorter, I'd have been a perfect dwarf a couple of years ago. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was a little bit chunkier back then, so I would have been bombor. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um, uh, Bombor only has one line in that in that film. He's pretty quiet. That's your service. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm I'm probably I I don't know. I hopefully you know I've I've argued my my case pretty well but i'm sure there's still going to be some some face palming happening but i'm i'm as we always say you know i'm dying on yet another hill so <laughs> i have to say that's not quite the hill i thought you'd die on <laughs> <laughs> i didn't expect you to come so tame out of the gates more so i'm actually kind of Shocked. Because <laughs> I thought this would be something you'd be licking your lips to because you've been dropping hot takes for free the last two years. <laughs> well, I, I thought I was, I don't know, I guess, I don't know, maybe I've... Well, it's still, it's still a good one. I just expected, like, David Harbour level ones. <laughs> Well, they already argued those. It, don't think it didn't cross my mind, though. It was something in the in, in the back of my head where I'm like, hmm. But I've already argued it, so I've I've argued it. I've made my peace with it, so, eh. <laughs> Maybe I'm mellowing in my old age. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I have to step up my game next time, maybe. <laughs> old age. Sure, Jan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, what is your argument of the evening? Well, this is a little bit awkward because my argument is why The Hobbit sucks. Okay, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I unknowingly also picked another film uh, to die for. And out of the big three slasher franchises, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, and Halloween, I went with the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street is the superior franchise of the three or 
other terms, that maybe Freddy Krueger is the better of the three slashers. So, <clears throat> I think my first line of defense, my first point to defend this statement is the fact that you look at Freddy's victims. And just the first film alone, you have Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, Amanda Weiss as Tina, Johnny Depp as whoever the hell that is as glenn and then i'm gonna butcher uh this guy's name uh i'm gonna say the guy who played ron because i do not want to butcher his first name but um i think one of the strong points and i've talked about this with my friend mikey before is that compared to the other two franchises the nightmare on Elm street franchise has so many more quote-unquote victims that you feel sorry for that you feel sympathy for before they are done in um i'll check the first one and even it carries on throughout as the franchise goes you look at mark Patton in part two Freddy's revenge or patricia arquette as Kristen, and the rest of the dream warriors in part three and even uh, lisa wilcox in part four and five um the dream child and the dream master uh you just feel these are victims you actually feel bad for and you look at, and it's not saying that the other franchises haven't had those, um, protagonists that you feel for, um, look at Jamie Lee Curtis in the first two Halloween films and you bring her back later on in, uh, H2O and then Daniel Harris who played, uh, her daughter, Jamie in parts four and five. Those were, characters in the halloween franchise you would genuinely feel bad for or so much as uh in the friday the 13th franchise you have adrian king who played alice in part one and amy Steele who played jenny in part two these were final girls slash protagonists that you actually felt bad for that you didn't want to see any harm come to them by the time when you got later in the franchises of those two they just started stockpiling characters with mm, i wouldn't say let's say they essentially stock these films full of characters later on these franchises where you're just looking at your watch waiting for jason to show up okay when's he gonna start stabbing this asshole i cannot take this lot obnoxious dude okay this girl is being this way just to be this way okay when is michael gonna show up and put a butcher knife in her chest or as opposed to uh nightmare on elm street like you do feel for these people like uh i was gonna go along the defense of you feel bad for these kids on elm street because they um are being hunted for revenge by freddy because their parents killed him years ago as opposed to but then i i kind of turned away from that because i thought okay in the first friday the 13th those kids are being hunted just because the mom is seeking revenge on counselors who let jason drown back in 1957 i believe who weren't paying attention to him and then you kind of feel bad for laurie in part one of the first halloween film because this is before the whole brother sister storyline but this is just some random dude who happened to track Lori and her friends until the plot came more convoluted since then but i did kind of stay away from that for a minute but then 
after a while, you look at because I try to think of other victim, like other protagonists in these other fil- film series that you would feel bad for. And I started thinking about Tommy Jarvis from the Friday the 13th franchise, but then you stop and look at it. In part six, it is really Tommy's fault that Jason's back. Because if he just would have left him in the grave, there would be no part six. So can we really, can you really feel bad for somebody who brought the killer back to life? And all just would like if you would listen to Horseshack and left him alone, there Jason wouldn't be running around now, would he? <clears throat> So that was the main thing. Even Heather comes back in uh, A New Nightmare, and you even feel bad for her there. You feel bad for her, too, in uh, Part 3 when she dies during uh, Dream Warriors. And then she comes back and um, has to fight Freddy again in A uh, New Nightmare, which you feel bad for her because this is affecting her real life. It's affecting her son. So she's the only time I can really say you don't really feel bad bad for the victims in a Nightmare on Elm Street film. I really have no feeling either way about some of the kids in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. But you also really have no, don't have those feelings for the kids in the remake. That came out. Don't get me wrong, I still do like the remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but you don't really feel for that Nancy and Glenn like you do for Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp for some reason. I don't know why they didn't establish that. It's much like uh, that's now I feel like I'm kind of rambling at this point. But, um, yeah, so the first point I wanted to make the first defense I wanted to make was that the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise does have protagonists or slash victims that you don't want to see anything bad happen to them because much like in later Friday the 13th and Halloween fran- uh, sequels they're just stockpiling these people with uh, cannon fodder for Jason and Michael to take out that's all I, there's parts in that later film that in those later films that's what you're waiting for when's Jason going to show up and get rid of these assholes because I cannot take much more of this um the second one I want to defend Nightmare on Street with is the timeline. And anybody who knows, I think Nightmare on Elm Street probably has the most straightforward timeline. Uh, starting 1984, going all the way up to, was it supposed to be in the 90s for New Nightmare, I believe. So 94, um, as opposed to Friday the 13th, they're really leading us to believe that I believe it's part two, three, and four all happen in consecutive days. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we make huge time jumps for five and six for Tommy to grow up. And then I don't know what the time jump is for part seven to part eight to part nine, because it's really all over the damn place. And um, then you have the, three or four different timelines we have with the Halloween franchise where some of it goes from part one to part two, Halloween one to Halloween two. Then you have Halloween three. It's on its own thing. Then you have what they call the Thorn Trilogy. It's four five and six, which 
tries to write off that uh, Lori is has passed on and Jamie's her surviving daughter. And then you have H2O and Resurrection, who also allegedly take place after Halloween 2, where Lori is alive, changed her name, has a son named John, but no mention of Jamie whatsoever. Then you have the Rob Zombie timeline, which is his Halloween 1 and 2. And now we have the timeline where it goes from Halloween 1978 to Halloween 2018 to... Halloween Kills coming out this year, and then Halloween ends next year. So, I really hope you don't try to hurt yourself trying to figure out this whole freaking timeline in your head of either one of these other franchises, where it seems like the only uh, monkey wrench in the timeline for Nightmare on Elm Street is Freddy versus Jason. And I should kind of take it back uh, with my last point with victims you don't really care about is like there's some protagonists in Freddy versus Jason you don't really give two shits about whether they live or die. But you really have to, it all depends like would you consider that more of a Freddy movie or a Jason movie like who whose movie is it really? But um yeah so I think the, the timeline is another big strength for the Nightmare franchise because at least with Heather. With Nancy not being part of Part Two, Freddy's Revenge, it's still it's still taking place in the the Thompson household with Jesse living there, and we have Nancy's uh, diary to go off of for that. And then Part Three, Nancy shows up at the hospital, but I think you can throw that out there because well, okay, Nancy tells the Dream Warriors, okay, they are the last of the Elm Street children. And some of them survived to part four, and Freddy's still going after them now, after part five. And then by the time you get to part six, well, we're not, uh, when he made clear that they're not in Springwood anymore, but Freddy's new rule now is, well, every town has an Elm Street, so he can go after all them now, too. Wow, I really am like, like I'm talking with my foot in my mouth right now, aren't I? I'm really contradicting every point I've made. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> no, I, I, I would agree. Um, I, I really think it's a lot more consistent. Definitely, like what you were saying, it it definitely makes more sense in that in that timeline, where you know. Now I haven't seen the other Halloween films. I've only seen the very first one. But, yeah, it's sort of, to me, it seems like it's very just sort of all over the place with characters. And you almost need a map <laughs> figuring out, okay. Well, there's, th- th- there's Venn diagrams illustrating it, too. Yeah. You know, you, you need that diagram to figure out, okay, this character is connected to this one. Or, the, like, what's what they're doing now on this path. And, it's you know, whereas, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is just okay, we're going to go from one point to the next. Like, we're going to pretty well have a steady timeline of events. And, you know, I think, you know, and I mean, I feel like Freddy, he gets a little bit more savage. Like, he, he evolves a little bit more. He becomes more of a 
uh, a danger. I, I mean, he, not that you know, not that he wasn't you know weak sauce before, but he's more than than what he was when you you know you first meet him. So you've got that as well. Um, whereas well, I could I could almost defend with Freddie as he starts to get a little softer around part four when it's when he really starts to become the wisecracker. Mm. But I would say he reminds me much of the Superman villain Doomsday, where he evolves. Mm. So every film we have with this way, it's supposed to destroy Freddy. But every time Freddy finds a way to come back. So I guess he finds a way to evolve and come back. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the point in New Nightmare where he has become the name Fred Krueger has become such a part of the zeitgeist in that film that he just exists now and he's trying to get he's trying to break into the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely he he does a lot more in each of the films. Like he, you know, he like you said he evolves and. I don't really see that with, you know, with Michael Myers or Jason. Like you, yes, you have your 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 different people playing him, but it's always the same big stompy guy. Like especially with Jason, big stompy guy just going around hacking slashing people, <laughs> you know, right. or picking them up, throwing them around, or you know stabbing them or whatever like it's always sort of the same thing i mean in the in the later films like you okay you're exploring you know tommy jarvis a little bit more and sort of where he's at and they're they are a little bit more a little bit more solid of a story but it's still very much that okay you've got a group of people well okay when oh about uh, now Jason's gonna come out and take out somebody. Like it's, he, you have that sort of predictability from film to film. Where in with Freddy, it's I feel like it's it's sort of the same, but a little bit different. Where he's evolved as a as a as a character, and he's doing a little bit more. And yeah, he's he gets a little wisecracky and things like that. But I think that. That's kind of what makes him like it sort of makes him a little bit fun you know like he's he's just this crazy character so it, it adds that little bit more you know crazy while, while we're on the subject it actually brings me to my third topic of my third line of defense of what makes the nightmare on Elm street franchise better and that is robert england as freddie and um it's no shade against I believe there has been at least seven people that have played Jason and I haven't commented how many played Michael Myers, but it really is no shade against them because in the day most of the time you can just throw a stunt guy in a mask and call him Jason because you don't have to have much interaction. Except there is a lot of physical acting comes with those two roles. And like Nick Castle, who's the first Michael Myers in 1978 was you look at him, I think that was the bar set to play Michael Myers. I don't think anybody got as close to it until Tyler Maine played him in Rob Zombie's version. And much like everybody who's played Jason ever since, most of these stunt guys do amazing work, especially Kane. Kane Hodder is probably the most known uh, for playing 
um, Jason because he did it four times. Mm. So and I personally love Derek Mears' performance as Jason in the uh, remake in 2009. So it's something to – I'm not throwing shade at any of those actors who played those roles, but I think what helps – does he have a charismatic character like Freddy who's going to talk? Yeah, he starts off being intimidating in the first three films. He's more threatening. And then he gets, yeah, he gets jokey. But the biggest offense I have for this is that Robert England, no matter, some people debate who's, which the worst film of the franchise is. Is it, is it um, Nightmare 5, The Dream Child, or is it Part 6, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare? Lisa Wilcox, if I meet you in September and you hear this, I'm sorry. I say it's the dream child because this is as bad as um, Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare is. It gets mostly jokes until it's like the 10 minutes of 3D and you get to the evil demon sperm that helped keep Freddy alive all these years. The one constant thing throughout all these films, including part six, is that Robert England never half-assed a performance. He gives 110% in every goddamn film that he did. And I think that adds to it so much. And the fact that he can deliver those lines, like even in part five, when he first comes back and yells, it's a boy! Like, this fact that he can throw out, is it part four, when he's in the one of uh, Alice's nightmares with her and he does, I love soul food and has all the faces, the sausages on the pizza with little soul faces on it. Like the fact that he can say lines like that so believably mm-hmm. and anybody else could really could have hammed that up. Yeah. I love soul food. And, like Robert England looks like he's having the time of his life. And I believe it was part two. They tried to replace him because he wanted more money. They tried it. It didn't work. And they paid Robert what he wanted. And I think that is proof positive enough. Like you needed Robert Ingram for this. Because you're going to have a, a. It's so much easier to replace a Freddie. I mean, sorry. It's so much easier to replace a Jason or Michael because. Most of the time, we're not going to see the face. If it's in, or we're not going to hear them speak either. It's just going to be grunts or whatever. Mm. So if you see Jason on his mask on, more than likely it's going to be heavily make anyway. Mm. Unless it's uh, Roy from Part 5. Mm. But Michael Myers, you are going to see him with his mask off, but you're not going to hear him talk very often. Except for, I believe, yeah. Rob Zombie's the first person to make adult Michael Myers talk, and he kind of dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> Man hasn't spoken 15 years, and all he says is, Die! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not stop from Tyler Mayne getting a good performance. Tyler Mayne was also Michael Myers. But that's... I think Robert England's what carries that makes that franchise so damn good. And I think they wanted David Warner at first to play uh, Freddy. 
but then I'm, I'm so glad they went with Mike. Uh, I'm so glad they went with Robert England because he's he just brings so much damn life to Freddy. Mm-hmm. And I, you can count on one hand how many people have played Freddy because you have Robert England who played through the first seven f- films or eight if you count uh, Freddy vs. Jason. And he had I, I should have wrote the guy's name down. I'm gonna kick myself for not saying it, but the guy who played Super Freddy in part. Five, and then you have nobody until Jack Early Hate take over for the remake. Mm-hmm. And I, I will also defend that Jack Early Hate did a great job with what he was given for the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Yeah. It, those are. I, I was also kicking around the fact of. Another point I was going to try to make, but I don't think I had enough evidence to support it, was um, that made Nightmare more superior. Is the fact that they tried something different and they pulled that off better. Mm-hmm. And what I went with that is the three things I compared that to were Roy playing Jason in part five, Freddy possessing Jesse in part two, and then Halloween three, Season of the Witch. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I kind of made me draw back on that was because the fact that over the years since 1982 1983 1983 when a season of which came out is the fact that um what was it later than 83 i've been later than 83 between 83 and 87 whenever season of which came out is that the people have really turned on season of which so the season of which has kind of become a cult classic amongst halloween fans um, part five, I believe, of Friday the Thirteenth is probably one of the most notorious bad parts of the franchise, next to part nine, Jason Goes to Hell. Um, but then you look at Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, and it's also it's become a cult classic in its own right more recently, mm-hmm. since uh, Mark Patton has had like voiced his opinion on it and everything, and he's come to talk about it more and more often mm. we've even had guy milks on this show talk about how good nightmare on elm street part two is because freddy's still scary yeah and mark Patton plays it so well like mm-hmm. again i really don't think part two gets the love it deserves so yeah. that's kind of the reason why i kind of pulled away from Using that as a line of defense because Season of the Witch has become kind of a cult classic amongst horror fans. While, yeah, um, Friday the 3rd, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is uh, starting to get its cult following. But I don't think it's quite gotten the love for it that Season of the Witch has gotten. And I think most people just crap on Part five of uh, Friday the Thirteenth for the most part. Mm. Yeah, but wasn't um? I remember you telling me about this that like it wasn't like the there was something about the Halloween franchise itself like they wanted to like they had wasn't it supposed to be like different uh, there, story 
John Carpenter's original John Carpenter's original plan was to have an anthology series and all of them take place on Halloween night. So the Michael Myers was never the long game for him. It was part one, I guess, part two, and then that's why he wanted to switch to the, the masks in part three, season of the witch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because also, part three performed so poorly that I think it was Mustafa Cod wanted to bring back Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often, um, yeah, I think about that, like how people just, you know, they, they really crap on, on Halloween 3 and how it's, you know, but it's, it wasn't supposed to, like, having, you know, like, Michael Myers' character wasn't supposed to really continue on for for the extended length of time that it did, so that's why it was something completely different for that film. So, but I mean, it's, you know, I follow a lot of different, like, t-shirt companies and things like that and they're always making like they've made a lot of you know like halloween 3 stuff and items and it's still like it's a very it's you've got a following of people that really enjoy the film there's even a there's even a silver shamrock reference in the 2018 halloween and there's also silver shamrock reference in well when i say silver shamrock reference i mean the masks the three masks that that silver shamrock produces are in halloween 2018 and in this new film come out here soon yeah so it's it's you know it's it's there it's recognized you know and it's yeah it it, you know i think i think it's neat that they were trying to do something different with that but then it just you know it's kind of sad that it didn't really work out but with nightmare on elm street you know, they they did something different, and it was pretty successful, I would think. You know, you have this character who, you know, is in your in your nightmares and your dreams, and you know, you 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 know, it's it's a challenge for the characters to deal with. You know, you can you can you know hit Jason over the head with something, or Michael Myers over the head with something, but Freddy, you have quite the challenge at hand so i think he's he's the most unique characters of the three and i definitely enjoy him i love all three of them i even love leatherface and chucky as well mm-hmm. and this house i almost use kills too as uh as a defense but i think freddie almost has an unfair advantage yeah to the point jason is supernatural in a point like freddy is mm. i was gonna say with freddy with freddy being getting you in your dreams you can get away with a lot more than you can in reality Absolutely. but again they do have like other films do have the other franchises have their over-the-top kills too like uh uh friday 13th part 7 when kane hotter is uh well in the original cut he beats this girl to death against uh a tree in her sleeping bag mm. or Halloween part six when uh, Michael kills uh, John Strode by, I can't, what's it? Theatrical cut or director's cut uh, or the producer's cut or director's cut. I can't remember which one, but he takes uh, John Strode and sticks him up against a fuse box in the basement until his head essentially explodes and shit. So, all those, like, so they all have their over-the-top kills that you can do, but I think Freddy's went so much more because it's in your dreams. 
Mm-hmm. Bio thought that Freddie had an unfair advantage, so that's one of the reasons why I left that one out too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you you have that. You, you have a little more flexibility, yeah, with with dreams and stuff because dreams can be absolutely ridiculous and not make any sense. So, yeah, I could see, yeah, he would definitely be unfair on that one because you can be absolutely ridiculous if you wanted to. <laughs> so. That's my uh, paper-thin defense on why uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is the superior of the big three horror franchises. I think it. I, I really think it makes sense. Like you, you, the big things that you know, I, I took from your argument. I don't think it's paper-thin. You've got your connection with characters, which I think is a big thing. Where you've got your ones, your your red shirts for easier. <laughs> You've got your red shirts who are your predictable. Oh, you know they're dead in a few minutes. Um, you know you've got your red shirts, and then you've got your main consistent characters who you know they're gonna, you know, fight to deal with this character. Um, it offers them that challenge, and you do. You know, you, you form that connection with them where you, you feel worried about them or you, you feel bad for them in some ways or you, you know, you just, you really form that connection because you get to know them and you, you know, you, you root for them because you want them to succeed and, you know, because, you know, you definitely, you know, you have a challenging character so you recognize that too and that connection, you know, forms a little bit more. And then you have, you know, like the stories, I feel like they're you know you said like they're it's a more consistent timeline, so you're not all over the place. You don't need a a Venn diagram to figure out what's going on. <laughs> you you kind of get okay. You're not really it's not so predictable like in the like in Halloween or you know Friday the Thirteenth. I feel like Friday the Thirteenth especially because you kind of know what's happen what's going to happen. But with Freddy, you don't know because you, you really don't know what he's going to do. So you kind of get, you know, you, you think you have a sense of what he's going to do, but then you don't. And, you know, you and then you form the connection with the new characters that you meet because they're also, you know, you have your strong characters and then you have, well, you're, you still have those, you know, the, the flaky red shirt ones who, yeah, they're going to be dead in seconds. But then you have the other ones who you know, they're going to make that effort again. But, you know, I don't feel like the stories, they, they don't feel repetitive to me. Like, they're, you, you see Freddy evolve and change, and, you know, he either, he's really scary, and then, okay, he's a little bit cheesy or whatever. Like, he's, you know, more of a well, smartass, but he still has that intimidation about him. And, you know, and then you also have the same actor playing that character. You don't have different people. And like you said, Robert England gives his 110% every time. So, you know, I, I think you, you definitely have a solid argument there. I'll, I'll reiterate again when I say that Freddy evolves. Um, I'd say he evolves from whatever killed him in the previous film. He finds a way around it to come back again. Mm-hmm. So in part five, when he needs to come back to be part of uh, 
he needs to be in Alice's baby or he needs Alice's baby to come back or in um, even in Freddy versus Jason when he is uh, he's essentially forgotten and he needs the town of Springwood to remember his name so he has Jason spread that fear for him and people having people think it's him so he gains that strength back it's all those things that's how I say he evolves because you look how he's able to find a way back after dying in part one after dying in part two after dying in part three he fe- keeps finding all these ways back so was it he part three found out he wasn't buried on hollow ground so they bury him in hollow ground and then he finds a way back when uh who is it uh, can't think of the character's name or his dog Jason pisses fire on Freddy and Freddy comes back then so that's why I mean Freddy evolves is whatever killed him in the previous film does no longer works in the current film mm-hmm. so he's always finding a way back until you get rid of the demon sperm inside of him and Freddy's dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean he's he's definitely he's inventive like he's he he is very smart in you know finding those little ways of of coming back and you know it almost it, it almost doesn't seem you know ridiculous all those times like it, it sort of makes sense in a way like it's never you know and i mean freddie being in dreams too it can be you know a little over the top as well but i think it makes you know a little more sense as to why you know okay he he found this loophole that he can you know use and take advantage of to to come back every time except for the one that's kind of like okay but (laughs) but you know they can't they can't all be gems but i think he's definitely of of the three i think he's he's certainly the strongest like he's consistent and you know timelines are consistent and you know you, you, you have more of that connection with characters which you know all those things i think is important so yeah i would i would agree that if you had to choose between the three that yeah freddy is definitely the the better one well thank you i certainly think so and i i rewatched all the films of last year for my scarathon and it's really one of those franchises we don't really regret getting to a certain film because it's like even though yeah friday or nightmare six is freddy's dead is not a very good film but you know what it's very entertaining and how bad it really is at the same time you know what i'm saying yeah, it's almost, it's almost, uh, would you say it's almost a so bad it's good category? I wouldn't say so bad it's good, but so bad it's entertaining, mm. at least. It's not, it's not a, so bad that I don't feel like my time is wasted watching it. Mm. Like I've said, I've, I'm on, I'm on the group that says that part Dream Child is worse than parts, uh, than Freddy's Dead. Because at least you get a lot of entertainment out of Freddy's Dead for how bad it is. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say it's so bad it's good, but it's 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 enough it's where I don't think my bad. time is wasted. Yeah, you can still you can still have fun with it. You can still be entertained by it. You know, because there, there's some films where it's just like you know you watch it and you really feel like you kind of wasted your time with it. You know. <laughs> But yeah, I mean they're they're definitely they're all you know I think they're all entertaining in their you know especially like the later ones they're entertaining in their own right 
you know, they're they're not really ones that you, where you, you know, one might be worse than the other, but you, you know, at least you still kind of get you're you're entertained anyway, and it keeps you, you know, entertained for you know however long. You you watch you watch the latter, um, Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween films to watch Michael and Jason do what they do best. That's lay waste to teenagers you don't give two shits about. <laughs> yeah. And in the same way, you could probably say the same thing for Freddy and the Nightmare franchise. But at the same time, that Robert England's just so damn entertaining that mm-hmm. it makes the film watchable. Like, and I'm not saying like Lisa Wilcox does not do a bad job. There's not really any bad performances in part five. I think it's just more of the plot. The yeah. actors are doing the best they can. Because I actually think the comic book kill in part five is in Friday in Dream Child is probably one of my favorite kills in the whole franchise. Is that comic book kill for obvious reasons? Because I'm a comic book nerd. But um, I think it's funny, entertaining as hell to watch. Is it are the are the graphics the best that in the world? No, no, not really. But it's still entertaining and fun as hell to watch. Mm. So, like you said, those these later films in the Friday and Halloween franchises, like you're watching just for Jason and Michael to rack up the bodies. Well, later Nightmare on Elm Street films, you're watching just for Robert Englund and Freddy, so what kind of crazy, goofy shit he does next. Mm. Absolutely. And, that, and that's, you know, I think, you know, I, I think, too, with with a lot of the a lot of those the, the films like you just you almost just you you turn your brain off and you just enjoy it for what it is you know you you know it's it might not be so great but you're entertained by it and it gives you something to you know something to watch for you know it be be a part of another quirky world for a little bit and I don't think that's you know it's never a bad thing so <laughs> As long as you, you know, you're engaged with it, you have fun with it, you know, I think that's, you know, that's important. You don't think too hard, you're good. All right, huh? I kind of kept this shorter than I thought we would tonight, actually. Yeah. But I think we, you know, any, any final, um, any final arguments for you? I'm sticking with my boy Freddy. Of the three, he's number one. What about yourself? Any final arguments for yours? Um, definitely, it's it's just a fun adventure, and you know, like I had really stressed near the end of my my argument was that you just immerse yourself into this world. You find the joy that. Bilbo Baggins has when he starts out on his his journey, his adventure. And, you know, it's, you sort of, you know, you admire him for that because with anybody, it's, you know, anything new, anything change, sometimes that can be really scary. Like, just immediately deciding you're going to do this one day. So, you know, you can, I, I think that's where you immediately connect with him, where, you know, he decided, you know what? I'm going on this adventure. There's going to be risk. It's going to be probably scary. It's way the hell out of my comfort zone, but I'm doing it anyway. And 
it's just from that point on, it's just a really great story. And I find it a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I really have a love for the film. I think they, they did a really great job of telling the story and they still have elements of the book within the film and the the other films as well. Um, so yeah, I think they, they did really well with it and I'm standing my ground and saying that it is a really, really good film and it should not be getting the heat that it does. And Bilbo only got one thirteenth of all the gold. He did. <laughs> well, in the cartoon, he got less than that because oh, his pony couldn't carry much back. Yeah. But you know what? I think. I think it's what's worth more for him is just the adventure is the time that he had i think is a little more important than the reward that he got like he still got something yeah it might not have been as you know much as as everybody else but you know what he went on an adventure so and he got the ring that made him crazy exactly So yeah, I I um I really don't feel that it, it should get the 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 dislike that it does. I don't feel it deserves it. Nice. So uh, be sure to let us know. Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? We'll love you either way. Um, also, don't be afraid to reach out to us. Let us know what kind of uh. What kind of hot takes do you have? Or also let us know, do you want us to try this again? Maybe Jared should do better research next time. It doesn't act like he did it the night before. Joke's on you. I did it an hour before. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, if you if you want to, you know, if you what what's your thing that you, you know, would would strongly, you know, defend to the to the end of the earth? Um you know what? What is the the one thing that you're you're really passionate about that you feel you know gets a lot of flack, or is underrated, or is you know one thing's maybe better than the other one? Um, you know we would we would really like to know your thoughts, and um, you can do that via social media, um, on either Twitter or Facebook, or you can also. Shoot us an email at nerdedinationspodcast at gmail.com. And also don't forget to keep listening on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Melissa, if they want to keep up with you personally or tell you that you're wrong, where can they do that? (laughs) Well, they can do that on um, Instagram and um instagram and twitter um on instagram you can find me at uh, miss melissa n25 it's all lowercase all one word um you can find me on there with all of my uh nature pics and sometimes random memes and just whatever frivolity i decide to post on instagram <laughs> um but you can also if you 
are interested in, in art or creativity or anything like that, um, you can find me at Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer, and there I post all drawings and things that I do. Um, also on Twitter, you can find me at Scribble Drawer, which is the same thing, um, sort of like my Instagram, but it's um, it's more focused towards the last draw-in, which is uh, watching the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs and whatever film is on that they're showing, um, I draw something from that movie. So it could be a character, it could be a moment, whatever. I'll do my best and scribble out something. So you can follow me on there. And where can they find you, Jared? Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA underscore Mista, M-I-S-T-A underscore J. That's where you'll find pictures of my cats and pictures of my beard. And uh, I also just recently recorded an episode of The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast with Eric Carter and Joe Fornerado. Joe, I hope I said that right. Uh, where we talked about the fifth anniversary of the animated The Killing Joke. So look for that wherever you find your podcast and make sure you show Eric and Joe some love because that is a great Batman podcast. So that should be coming out here soon. So, guys, we hope we didn't piss you off terribly this episode, but uh, we'll try to do better next time. Uh, up next, we have a mini episode where we talk about some misconceptions about our nerdiness. Like some people don't well, people don't understand about our nerdiness or people misunderstand about our nerdiness. So. Hopefully that will win you back if we steered you away. I'm sorry if any Michael Myers fans or uh, Two Towers fans out there are offended by this episode. <laughs> but we'll come back next time and see what people seem to misunderstand about our nerdiness. So it's still scary out there. The best way we can get through this is to uh, be good to ourselves and to be excellent to each other. And nerd on, dudes. See you next time. Hopefully. Please come back. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.